Hey, welcome back, listeners, and welcome to today's episode of the Amateur Naturalist Podcast, where you know I love discussing the natural history of either wild native plants or wild native animals. Hey guys, my name is Tommy and I am an amateur naturalist with an appetite for the great outdoors. Hey, I absolutely love spending time in the outdoors, learning about the outdoors, and hopefully you'll enjoy some of what I'm going to share with you today, the listeners, with each weekly episode. In every weekly episode, we will select a new species to discuss. Stop by my Amateur Naturalist Podcast Facebook site or my Amateur Naturalist Podcast webpage. And let's discuss your stories, your individual passion for the great outdoors. Hey, tell me what plant or what animal that you want to hear about on the podcast or just give me some feedback so I can improve the podcast. I have been getting lots and lots of feedback from around the world, and it's been exciting. Hey, if you find value in the Amateur Naturalist podcast, please do me a favor by hitting that follow button and then hit that download button for every episode. As a podcaster, one metric that we are measured on are the total numbers of downloads. Hey, thank you, everybody. And now on to this week's episode of the Amateur Naturalist Podcast. Hey, happy holidays, everyone, and I hope everyone had a fantastic time with your family and your friends during Thanksgiving 2022 just a few days ago. Hey, I'll be honest. I honestly think I gained another five pounds this week. Hey, so starting with my last episode about the wild turkey, I said I wanted to do a series of holiday episodes leading up to Christmas and, you know, talk about holiday-related plants and animals. Well, I have my game plan. I have my itinerary for the holiday season. And I did one episode for Thanksgiving about our awesome, awesome wild turkey. And I have a few more holiday episodes leading up to Christmas Day. On today's podcast, I wanted to discuss the natural history of one of my favorite woodland plants. I love seeing these out in the woods. It is the beautiful and bright green Christmas fern. But before we get too deep in today's episode, let's talk about the Christmas fern's biological classification. All right, folks, it's in the kingdom plantae. It's in the division polypodiophyta. It's in the class polypodiopsida. It's in the order Dryopteridaceae. It's in the genus Polysticum. And it's in the species Polysticum acrostichoides. This is the Christmas fern. Now, the polystichum literally means many in a row. The Latin name for this simply refers to its sori, which are the clusters of spore cases that are arranged. You've seen them on the rows on the back sides of fertile fern leaf segments. So if you grow ferns or you've looked at ferns very much at all, you can just flip the leaf over usually and you will see the spore cases on the back side and they are usually 
a different color like on this variety beige or brown not all of the leaves will have the spores some are fertile leaves some are infertile leaves and we'll kind of talk about that as we go today again the species today is the christmas fern polystichum acrostichoides Now, the Christmas fern is one of my favorite of all plants to find all year long. But it's especially nice when you're out in the woods and you see this large, beautiful, bright green fern in the fall against the fallen leaves or even more exciting to find it sticking up above the bright white snow in the wintertime. Now, from my experience in the woods of Kentucky, these are the largest ferns that I come across each year. The Christmas fern is a bright, dark, green, perennial evergreen fern that is a native plant to much of the eastern half of the United States. It goes way up north and way, way down south, and it covers up most of the eastern United States. Now, the leaves are kind of stiff and leathery like if you've ever felt one they're they're kind of kind of a kind of a stiff leather like tough leaf in my experience i have typically found these big big ferns in areas around creeks or rivers or ponds back in the woods or in other moist soils in the shade of the woods now christmas ferns are really really pretty evergreen ferns and they grow about one and a half to two and a half feet high in big clumps and that's one of the things you'll see different about these is they grow in clumps you'll see them kind of above the uh, floor of the of the woods now the fronds they rise up from a central rhizome area and these gorgeous gorgeous christmas ferns can form small kind of uh, loose groupings or sometimes they can uh, just occur individually i would say most of the ones you and i see out in the woods are individual or maybe just a couple two or three in an area but occasionally you'll come around a corner on a trail or something and there'll be a whole hillside or a whole creek side just covered up with christmas ferns So some of you listeners might know the answer to this trivia question, and, and some of you may not. It's a pretty interesting question, I think. Uh, why why was the Christmas fern named the Christmas fern? And this is really kind of a, a neat story, and this is where I really wish I was talking to you on YouTube with a video versus the audio of a podcast. I'd love to show you a picture. It just... Uh, Makes the point a lot easier. But the Christmas fern was first called the Christmas fern because it actually is one of the limited native ferns that's actually totally evergreen. So many early pioneers out in the log cabins or, you know, out, out in the woods began using this this plant as a green Christmas decoration, kind of to spruce up the cabin, give it a homey touch and make them feel more like back at their home they just came from as they went out into the woods to look for something to decorate their cabins for the special holidays they found these bright green ferns and and they cut a few leaves off to bring them inside their cozy cabins now i can imagine that they probably brought in some mistletoe probably some pine cones probably uh i'd say for sure some tree limbs of other evergreens including of course pine trees and red cedar trees you know, maybe Fraser firs, depending on where you live. So just a little hint, these three plants that I just named 
are some of my six to seven holiday subjects coming up before Christmas this year. I'll uh, I'll talk about a few of those as we get closer to Christmas. And another reason, and I think this one's really cool, another reason that they are called Christmas ferns, it is if you look at each of those leaf segments, each of those leaf segments now coming off of the frond, they look just about like or they remind you of a traditional Christmas stocking. So if you kind of turn them the right way, you'll see the stocking hanging down and then the toe going off to one side, a Christmas stocking. Or you could uh, say it's Santa's boot. Or even if you turn it the other way with the what would look like the toe going upward, it looks like Santa's sleigh. So the Christmas fern. If you've seen a Christmas fern, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When you think of the shape of those leaf segments, which are on those long, long fronds sticking up in the air. Don't you like that story? I think it's pretty cool. Three reasons we call it the Christmas fern. Now, when I have uh, seen Christmas ferns here in the state of Kentucky, most of the time I find them singly in a clump or maybe two, three or or four in a close group in that general area. Every once in a while, sometimes along creek sides, I've seen large, large groups together lining the creek in the wet, moist soil on the bank. And that's kind of key. It can't be like totally wet all of the time, but just a a nice wet soil to keep the rhizomes nice, nice and healthy. Now in a large and dark, shady, moist forest like in the Great Smoky Mountains or in the Red River Gorge area here in Kentucky, you will see really large areas carpeted with multitudes of Christmas ferns. It's really, really a a sight to see and very pretty. It's not always Christmas ferns, but occasionally you'll see a big grouping of them. Uh, One year in my college years, a long, long time ago, in a botany class. We were walking through the Red River Gorge, the whole botany class right here in Kentucky, and it was almost, I I kid you not, like a magical moment. We kind of came around a corner, and we see thousands of Christmas fern fiddleheads coming up off of the forest floor. It was just absolutely the coolest sight to see. And you don't normally see those large groups of this particular fern you see it's with some other ferns but not exactly with the christmas fern now these fiddleheads if you've ever seen a fiddlehead they look like the end of a violin and these are the fronds they're growing back out in the springtime and they're all kind of rolled up and about to start unrolling into a long one to three feet long fronds And they grow out of a clump in the ground, and the clump gets a bit larger every single year. Now, the kind of a neat thing is if they're on a hillside, and as the leaves start to uh, slide down the hill, these these, uh, clumps that are sticking above the ground will stop the leaf flow that's going down the hill, and they're a great deterrent to slides going down hills a lot of the time. Um, I had mentioned before just how the fronds are evergreen. But many of the fronds do actually die back, and they and they turn brown sometime sometime around January. They almost always make it past Christmas, so that's why they're the Christmas fern. And then just a couple of months later, the new bright green fiddleheads emerge from the middle of those clumps, and it just it's a sight to see when they start coming up. But 
throughout the whole winter, there'll be some of the leaves that stay green most of the time. And you'll see them kind of stuck, stuck laying maybe on the ground. A lot of the times, if it's in an area where there's snow, the snow would have gotten on top of those, those leaves kind of holding them down. Now, I can remember our botany professor telling us that these silvery-looking colored fiddleheads could be cut off and then battered and fried and eaten. And unless I misremember this thing, I think he was talking about the Christmas ferns. Uh, He could have been talking about a different fern. It's been almost 40 years ago. I never forgot that, and every single time I see fiddleheads coming up, I think about this, and I would love one day to try try these someday, but I never, ever have eaten those fern fiddleheads. But I do want to warn you right now that I have since college, now I've read that humans should never eat these Christmas fern fiddleheads. So I don't know where I got the confusion at. I I know that you can eat fiddleheads, but I need to do a little more research on this before I ever do try to eat any, and you should too. Turkeys, though, and grouse will eat them, uh, especially in the the winter when they're starting to lose some food supplies. But most all other animals will not. And and for a reason, I'm not 100% sure. In my very limited research on why we should not eat these ferns, it's said that they are carcinogenic, and they... uh, that they decrease our vitamin B levels in our body. But I do plan on buying some Christmas ferns next year and planting them in a shady spot of our yard. Can't wait, just cannot wait. I just won't be eating any of those Christmas fern fiddleheads. Now, I love the beauty of natural ferns. I've always loved ferns so much. And uh, the ones out in the wild are just, most of the time, just absolutely beautiful. As we get close to entering into December, All across the eastern United States, the trees now have almost all dropped their leaves. And as you hike across any of these forests right now, you will see a brown forest floor, of course, because of the many fallen leaves. And contrasting with the brown will be the green of the ferns. So they stand out pretty pretty easily right now. Many of these ferns are going to be the large Christmas ferns. And now you know how to identify them. Walk over, take a look at those uh, leaflets, and you will see the little Christmas stocking or the Santa sleigh, whichever one you want to go with. So as you walk up on these ferns, you're going to see um, long limb-like structures that we call the fronds. That's the the big parts that are kind of coming up out of the ground and going up into the air. Again, now the fronds They're on average uh, about two feet long, and they have lots of leaf-like structures coming off of them. These are called the pinnae, and they are in pairs, like going right, you know, back and forth. There's pairs on both sides of the frond, and there's usually, if you counted them on a long long frond, you're usually going to see about 20, 24, 30, maybe 32. I don't think I've ever seen more than that. And I'll be honest, I haven't counted them all. But uh, 20 or 30 or more pinnae on each frond. Every one of these pinnae are about one and a half inches long or so. So many gardeners that uh, like to add in natural plants, uh, nature's plants, the plants that grow out in the wild, they will grow Christmas ferns because of their sheer size and beauty. Plus, these plants can be great for hillsides or, like I said earlier, for holding soil in place on a hillside. In the wild, these ferns grow in woodlands, 
and they grow on very rocky woodlands. You could find an area that the rocks are not very far beneath the soil, you know, just right there at the soil, and these ferns are coming right out of it. Uh, they grow around bluff areas, um, around uh, moist slopes of wooded ravines where it's nice and shady, and then real shady cliff areas where you got real tall cliffs and it's blocking the sun for a lot of the day. This fern is especially likely to be found where limestone or sandstone comes close to the ground surface and in like really hilly woodlands. And again, that's why I was talking about the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Mountains, of course, lots of rocks, and uh, the Red River Gorge area. We have a lot of sandstone up in that area. So these habitats are all dominated by deciduous canopy trees that, of course, drop tons of leaves every fall that eventually turn into a very rich, dark, loamy, thick, black soil. And, of course, that's why you see the nice ferns and all the beautiful uh, spring flowers coming up every year. Now, of course, we always have to talk about some of the negatives about the plant, and there is an aphid out there, uh, Amphorora ampulata, and, and that aphid will suck the fern juices out from the Christmas fern and from some other ferns in the area. So um, doesn't always kill it, but it uh, takes a lot of the energy from the fern sometimes. Also, uh, during the winter months, the evergreen fronds of this fern are eaten on by a little bit, just a little bit by white-tailed deer, and also in winter, the young fronds may be eaten by upland game birds, such as the ruffed grouse and a couple other grouses and, and especially wild turkey. And usually sometimes the ruffed grouse are eating them because it's uh, maybe a, a decently deep snow and the maybe the uh, parts of the green is sticking above the snow and it's like one of the last things they have to eat. They become somewhat of a food source to these birds as the winter food sources really just become quite limited at that time of year. And overall, really, the food value of this fern to wildlife is really, really limited. If you're planning this to bring in wildlife, uh, it's I would be planning them for the beautiful part of it, the beauty, not, not the food source for wildlife. Overall, the food value of the fern is, of course, very, very limited. Many gardeners like the fact that these ferns grow in shade, partial sun, and, uh, and in areas where the deer really rarely munch on these beautiful ferns. Now let's talk a little bit about the medicinal uses of the plant. There's a few different uh, Native American tribes that did uh, had several medicinal uses, and they and they and they taught some of the European settlers some of these. Um, the Native Americans and the early pioneers both used the plant in some type of medical uses, either topically on their skin, um, and sometimes it was ingested as well. So here's some examples: like uh, a concoction of the plant was ingested for rheumatism. And the Cherokee tribes now, they used Christmas fern to treat stomach aches and uh, pneumonia, toothaches, regular pains, and just chills when they got, you know, people were getting sick. Now, the Iroquois tribes also used the plant to treat a wide, wide range of medical problems, including the same thing, rheumatism, consumption, convulsions, and fevers. So, folks, let's uh, talk a little bit about the life cycle or the reproduction of Christmas ferns. And we haven't talked 
in any of our prior episodes about spores. So Christmas ferns, like most other ferns, have a two-part life cycle. And we won't get super deep into this. This is something you would learn in a, uh, in a biology class, and we're not going to go that deep, but we'll go deep enough that there's an understanding. So the Christmas fern plant that we see, that green plant that we look at, is called a sporophyte. And that's called a sporophyte simply because it produces spores. Now, the brown-colored spores, let's say, I'm, I'm sure you've done this before, but if you kind of flip over the leaves and on the underside of the leaves, there's these extremely tiny kind of like, uh, I guess you could say seed-like packages of genetic DNA material. And that material becomes the spores and it can blow or scatter in the wind even when it's raining it can be carried by by water so christmas ferns produce fertile leaves uh, that have reproductive structures or sterile leaves that are about reproductive structures so let's say that again christmas ferns produce fertile leaves that have reproductive structures or they have sterile leaves that are without reproductive structures. Sterile leaves are shorter leaves uh, located on the outside area of the plant, and they circle around that whole middle position of the fertile leaves, if you kind of get what I'm saying there. So uh, the life cycle of Christmas ferns consists, again, of two different generations, and I've only mentioned one, the sporophyte, and then there's also the gametophyte. As I mentioned, the sporophyte generation of the plant, that's the one we see, the fern that has the spores underneath the leaves, it produces those brown-looking spores. So a lot of people see that and they think the plant's sick, you know, if they haven't been around uh, ferns a lot. That's the little miniature reproductive units. Um, they will later give rise to the growth of the gametophyte generation. And gametophytes, they're the ones that produce male and female reproductive cells. And you and I both know that as sperm and the eggs, or sperm and the ova. Then, of course, the sperm and ova combine, and these two types of cells now give rise to the next sporophyte generation. So you kind of see the life cycle, how it comes back from gametophyte over to sporophyte and then back to gametophyte. The production of spores lasts uh, from the June to October, so most of those warm months, middle of the summer and fall. And, that, of course, the temperature and the amount of moisture are just optimal, just perfect. Production of spores lasts uh, from June to October, like we just said, and, again, the temperature is just about right for them. They can take, take some heat as long as they've got some moisture back in the woods. Now, some of the information on that life cycle that I just mentioned, I found on the Internet. Uh, you can go out there and look at this and dig a little deeper, but it was on uh, softschools.com. Softschools.com, and they kind of talk about the life cycle a little bit. You could find it anywhere, but this is where I was reading about it a little bit deeper. So like I was saying, it's been about 40 years since I had that uh, had those botany classes way back in biology at the University of Kentucky. And I just wanted to make sure I was uh, on top of the sporophyte and the gametophyte and the whole life cycle deal. And then I didn't want to go super, super deep because we'd be here another two hours instead of just uh, shooting for about 25 minutes today. So 
Hope everybody's had a great holiday. I do want to tell you that over the next few weeks, what my goal is, is I want to talk about some holiday items um, each week. One of those, for sure, I want to talk about mistletoe. Wrote a little list down a few weeks ago, and mistletoe made the list. Wild turkeys made the list. Uh, the Christmas fern. Uh, maybe pine trees. I want to talk about some of the edible items that people would eat or harvest back in the day for Christmas dinners and things. Uh, some of the things might surprise you. Um, some of the greens, wild greens and things like that. Definitely want to talk about cranberries, even though you don't see those around here. But uh, heck, I've eaten a lot of cranberries the last two or three days myself. And then at the end, I wanted to surprise you, but for sure, the last few days right before Christmas, I want to do reindeer. Now, reindeer aren't here in Kentucky. Could have talked about the white-tailed deer, but we're definitely going to talk about reindeer and my wife's already told me she's excited for that podcast all right folks that's my plans over the next five or so weeks got uh, several items we're going to talk about i hope you look forward to those tune in right here to the amateur naturalist podcast if you like my podcast please reach out to one or two of your friends and tell them about this nature broadcast. It will truly help me grow this podcast through word of mouth advertising. Folks, be sure to download this episode and don't miss out on next week's episode as we return to the Amateur Naturalist. Until next time, love and respect nature and protect our native wild plants and animals. Happy holidays, everyone. Ho, ho, ho. Happy holidays, and I'll see you next week.